one, start a blog. So just just start it. And it might feel like you don't have a lot to say yet, but if you start to write down the things as you are learning them and as you're exploring them, especially if you're kind of staying on top of what's new, it's going to give you such a head up, leg up, uh, especially as you're applying to jobs because you can show a history of thoughtful progression. And the second would be to get involved in your local community if possible or virtual communities because now there's a lot of Discord groups, there's different virtual communities. If you don't have a physical local community near you that can introduce you to people who are nerdy about the same things that you are nerdy about and excited about the same things that you are excited about, you can bounce ideas off each other, discover new things, see what they're working on, share what you're working on. That is what probably helps me most in my career is that exact pursuit of finding people who cared about these same things. When that kind of community didn't exist around me, I created it. So I started the SAS meetup in DC. When I moved, I started a, another a meetup in Austin, where it was another city that I lived in, in the US. So either join community, make community, find community, blog stuff, experiment, play with what interests you, whether it's crypto or whether it's uh, UI front end, whether it's building frameworks, whether it's participating in open source, like there's a lot in the dev space, whether you're a musician or into fashion, like there's a lot that you can hook into um, to find your people. Hello and welcome to Developer's Journey, the podcast bringing you the making of stories of successful software developers to help you on your upcoming journey. I'm your host, Tim Bourguignon. On this episode, I receive Yuna Kravitz. Yuna is a staff developer relations engineer at Google Chrome, leading the CSS, UI, and DevTools developer relations team. Yuna co-hosts the CSS podcast and the Designing in the Browser video series. She has built open source libraries such as CSS Gram, spoken at over 80 developer events around the world, and is an avid calligrapher and doodler. Maybe she's going to doodle while we talk. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Yuna, welcome to Train. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am as well. Uh, not to be here. Yeah, to be here. And we've been laughing for at least 20 minutes. So it's a good start of the show, right? Yeah, now. my mouth already hurts. I'm going to yes. need a face massage after this. <laughs> uh, since we're recording remotely, I will send you good vibes. Okay, great. <laughs> Sending awesome. them right back. <laughs> Thank you. But before we come to your story, I want to thank the terrific listeners who support the show every month. You are keeping the dev journey lights up. If you would like to join this fine crew and help me spend more time on finding phenomenal guests than editing audio tracks, please go to our website, devjourney.info and click on the support me on Patreon button. Even the smallest contributions are giant steps toward a sustainable dev journey. Journey? Thank you. And now, back to today's guest. So, Yuna, as you know, the show exists to help the listeners understand what your story looked like and imagine how to shape their own future. So, as is customary on the show, let's go back to your beginnings. Where would you place the start of your dev journey? Oh, wow. Ah, where do we begin? Let's see. Um... I think I'm one of those rare people where I discovered this blend of like coding and design at a pretty early age. And I've sort of hooked into that and kept growing that curiosity from that young age. So I know that 
you had somebody in your show who talked about Neopets once. And I think that there's a whole generation of mostly women who are about my age, millennials, who learned to code through Neopets. That was a really important moment, <laughs> I think, for the tech community today. But um, just just an opportunity to be creative and to play around, learn HTML and CSS uh, through like a fun medium. But I also uh, was on this chat client called The Palace. Have you ever heard of The Palace? I haven't. So it was like this visual chat client and you had avatars and you could uh, create like cartoon doll outfits. And I was downloading Jask Paint Shop Pro 7 so I could go and like do pixel art through that and then upload it on the palace. And I was hosting servers. I didn't even know what that was at the time. I was so young. I was probably like seven or eight years old. Wow. Uh, Yeah, really young. I got on the internet when I was six years old. I was, uh, I don't know why my parents were just very, very laissez-faire about that. They just kind of let me do my own thing. Um, I was in AIM chat rooms, like AIM chat rooms at six years old. And people would say ASL. And I would say six F, not going to tell you because, you know, (laughs) you're not supposed to. (laughs) <laughs> and they wouldn't believe me, but then I would report people for cursing because I was six years old <laughs> and I shouldn't have been there. Um, and it was against the rules because the chat room had rules back in early internet days. Obviously. Um, so anyway, the palace was like a visual chat client and there would be like these cartoon dog contests and different servers and you could host your own and create backgrounds. So like in Paint Shop Pro, I was creating like backgrounds for the different visual chat client uh, things. Um, and like Neopets, you could do like groups where you could log in at a certain time and, you know, internet friends, early internet stuff. So I think that that's what got me interested in this space of like design and building stuff at the time. Um, and then, you know, MySpace came out. I was I was the person making the MySpace layouts. I was, uh, I, I made this one, like, <laughs> this layout where I had a background of myself with my palm out, and I photoshopped a tree growing out of it, and I thought that it was really good, <laughs> but it's, it was really bad. <laughs> um, but that's kind of how I got started, and I, I learned more and more as it came up. I was also really into The Sims and I was making like 3D skins for The Sims and needed a place to host them. So like needed a website to host this, The Sims skins so you could download them and use them. Um, so yeah, I, I think just getting my hands dirty in that space is, is kind of how I started, if Did, that's... <laughs> yeah, this is awesome. I I, I, I wonder or marvel at the uh, at looking back at all those things that did we're not we're not created to help us learn programming to learn technical yeah. skills, but actually taught us so much in in getting around those computers, finding our ways, finding information, and then using this information to create something for ourselves and just scratch our own itches and at some point realize oh but this applies to something else and then we can use it in a different context and i wonder if this is still happening for kids nowadays oh i think it must be i i think that there's a lot of tools now that specifically teach code like scratch which i hear is very big kids must love scratch um i hear great stories about it and there's other tools and games but there's probably also some things that are tangential that don't necessarily one-to-one relate to programming that 
get you into it, like game building, like Minecraft even, that's very technical and you have to think about world building. Um, so I think that there's a lot of things today and more than ever, I think we're just going to have more and more programmers in the world as these become a part of our day-to-day toys. Like I know in the in the 80s, that was one of the big reasons why there's such a big gender discrepancy between girls and boys is because computers were a toy for boys back in the 80s and not for girls. They were marketed towards boys. And so that's why I think Neopets was such a big change because it was marketed towards girls in a lot of ways where you got to have a little Mm -hmm. pet friend and you got to build a little pet page and you got to dress it up. Um, So I think that that was one of those tools that brought a whole different world of developers into our community, which I'm very grateful for. Yeah, it sounds like it. And you have a big smile on your face while you're explaining all this. They're, apparently, they're revamping it. Like I saw oh, they are? yesterday that they're, uh, there's like new management and they're planning on launching like a new Neopets in, t- in two days. So that we're recording this summer. <laughs> I'm really excited. Wow. Okay. I will have to look, uh, look into this uh, after the show. Really? Yeah, yeah. They haven't launched it yet, but I'm very curious to see what it's going to be. <laughs> okay. So um, this was just, or just, with big air quotes, you putting your finger into development without knowing it. At which point did you realize that you were doing it, that, that, that this was starting to become software development? Yeah, I, I think it started really as design. I was thinking of it as graphic design. Mm, I was thinking that's what I wanted to do because I liked art and I liked creating. And I always thought that I wanted to be a graphic designer. And my parents came to the U.S. as immigrants. Um, They're Ukrainian. They moved as refugees. And they always told me that I can't can't be an artist as my job. (laughs) I can't be a designer. So I, of course, was rebelling and wanted to only do art and graphic design because they told me I couldn't. As kids do. Um, <laughs> right. Classic. So um, when I was in high school, I took a lot of design classes and we had this program um, where you can get college credits by doing a series of courses. And I did three years of this intermediate design program where we learned um Photoshop, Illustrator, Flash, like a lot of Flash programming in that course. And I was also introduced to the Wacom tablet. um, And I loved that class. I just shone in that class. And this was uh, when I was 16, 17, around that time I was taking this class. Uh, It was so much fun. I built so many Flash websites. I loved writing ActionScript. I loved like making little games. I made a bunch of portfolio websites in Flash. Um, And that was something that I loved doing so much that I wanted to go to college for graphic design. Um, And I ended up going to college doing a double major in graphic design and computer science, which at the time was like the perfect combination. (laughs) But um, when I was in school, they were sort of looked at really differently because front-end development in terms of curriculums wasn't really a thing that was catching up yet. So there was graphic design and the graphic design program split into two where you could do packaging, print design, like that sort of um, physical design. In that class, it was really focused on print. We would do book projects, um, packaging, that sort of thing. And then there was a newer media design class that had animation as a big part of it um, that uh, started teaching you programming with like CSS. And this is when CSS3 was just about to like really come out. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was awesome because I had a professor who was also working in the industry at the time. What is it called? 
that kind of professor. Not like a tenure track professor, but the the adjunct professors. I don't know if that's a thing in other parts of the world, but it, essentially, it's a professor who works and then comes and teaches a class or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and they didn't know all the answers, but they did know about CSS tricks, and they did know about where to find the answers to things. And I think that that like got me really hungry to learn more and more and more because there was so much to learn at the time, like font family and all the. Ex- extended font face features and um, gradients and animations, like keyframes were new. Uh, So that was like just, my brain was going a million miles a minute. Um, And at the same time, I was taking these computer science classes, which was the total like other end of the spectrum where it was like discrete mathematics, where it was uh, our web development class. And I say this in quotes, in my computer science program was cold fusion. (laughs) Oh, okay. Which makes sense. It's web development, but it's not the kind of web development that I foresaw myself doing. Um, And another cool thing about having this adjunct professor is he really introduced our class, and it was a small class, to community. So when I was 18 or 19, my eyes were open to this world of meetups and local community meetups in my city, which was a huge moment, I think, for me. Because for me, I think community is one of the biggest uh, joys I have in the work that we do. Um, mm-hmm. So I started going to meetups. And one, maybe my first meetup, it was called Refresh DC. Um, there was a talk from this company, and they gave a talk about how they broke the Chrome browser, how they were experimenting with these 3D CSS transforms. They built this like storybook game. And it was that moment I was taking notes and I was like, oh my God, like there's a word for the thing that I want to do. And it's front end development. It is the mix of design and logic, like there is a th- there is this thing, and my eyes were open. And after that, I talked to them, and I was like, "How do I intern for you?" Like, I immediately just blew my mind. Um, I did end up interning for them. I, I got super involved in the community. Uh, I I did a ton of internships that throughout college, and I ended up starting a meetup group too when I was still in college because. I wanted to start one for SAS. But uh, yeah, so I, I think community was a big piece of it. Um, it didn't hurt that nobody carded us there because, you know, the drinking age is 21. <laughs> 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 so we'd go and have a beer with our professor. <laughs> I don't know, probably not great, but <laughs> it was fine. It was fine. Um, and learned a lot from the community and it was, it was uh, where I learned more probably than I did in school about the actual work that I wanted mm-hmm. to do in the web space. Mm-hmm. It makes so much sense. I, I, I'm almost envious of you finding community at that young age, or maybe with our quotes. I discovered yeah, no, I, I think I was very lucky. Yeah, I discovered it only after my studies, when I started working, and it was only after a couple of years. I must have been 25 or something like this. Uh, when I finally discovered, oh, there's some such thing as communities, and then it opened a world, like you said. And when I talked to my sister, who is a, who's an, um, uh, a lawyer, when I talked mm-hmm. to her about meetups and stuff, she opens round eyes and said, what? <laughs> we don't, don't have that. I, I think it's a little different, too, because yeah. my husband's also a lawyer, and 
is that the same kind of meetup? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 there barely is one um, meetup like this. So it really, yeah. it's, it's it's very uh, special in our industry. Um, one yeah. thing I wanted to come back to is um, how did you feel to finally find this word or this this term front end development? It felt kind of like a pretty big relief because, uh, as I mentioned, growing up, I really wanted to do something creative and visual. And um, my parents were just really not having it. They tried to convince me in every way that this wasn't the way. There was no, there was, there are no jobs in graphic design. Have you heard? <laughs> <laughs> I think that they just really didn't know. And you know, they coming from another country, they just want the best for their kids. Um, so. I think for me, seeing something that was really technical, but also super creative and really visual made it all make sense. Mm -hmm. And it gave me a lot of excitement and passion to keep working in this space and to, um, to continue to like foster this interest. And I started building experiments in CodePen and I started like making stuff and writing about it. Um, and that's actually a, probably a pretty big, reason why I am where I am today is because I started just sharing the things that I was learning about and building tools for the things that I was solving. And I did all that when I was, you know, 19. I gave my first conference talk when I was 19. Um, got, got started really young. This is awesome. Do you, um, uh, kind of an, a, a, a difficult gymnastic, but um, did the job that you have today is the thing that you imagined when you were 19, when you discovered this front-end development and finally put a, uh, your finger on this, on this term you'd, you'd been looking for and say, okay, this is what I want to become later. Is this what you became? This job, when I was 19, I didn't even know existed and is probably better than I could have imagined as a wow. job could be. Um, because now I get to actually work on the platform that gets me so excited to build for. And it's such a meta role where we get to help define what the platform looks like and what the code is that you can use, what the features are that you can use to build these experiences, which isn't something I even realized was an option when I was 19. This is awesome. I'm so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is great. It really, you have a big smile on your face and you really uh, seem to have found the place where you wanted to be. You, you knew it, you knew this place existed and you were searching for it. And at some point, you're, whoa, it's there. And yeah, suddenly the world opened. So how did you navigate this word? You said you were uh, learning in the open. Um, yes. Learning with open source, etc. How did you, did you navigate this time between 19 and now? Yeah, I mean, a lot has happened. Um, so yes, I was definitely learning in the open. I was looking for all the opportunities that I could from my community. And I didn't really have like a mentor per se, but I just made everybody my mentor, everybody that was <laughs> in my community. Um, I worked my this internship at this co-working space. So I got to see a lot of different type of work there, um, which was great. And um, I just started kind of taking public notes as my blog. So as I did different types of jobs, um, I did one summer internship, which, which was another speaker at this meetup. And I went up to them and I was like, how do I work for you? And they were like, you're too young, but come back in two years and here's how, here's some books to read. So I read the books and I applied for the internship 
like a year and a half later. Um, but when I was doing that job, they had this program where you build something with their front end team and like kind of shipped it. And as I was building it, I had the opportunity to explore new content management systems like craft CMS just came out. So I wrote one of the first canonical posts of like how to set up craft on your Mac device. They linked to it from their documentation and that was the cool. I was like 20 years old. I was like, oh, look, I got into someone's documentation. Because <laughs> I was one of the few people who was exploring it because I got the option, the opportunity to do that as an intern. Um, that was really fun. Um, I wrote those notes for myself so I would remember how to do it next time. That's why I wrote the blog post. Um, and I started doing that as I was playing with different APIs, with color frameworks with animations, just kind of like taking these public notes and then would share them. And nobody read my blog for the first few years. But when I started going to events and getting more in the space, and as I mentioned earlier, I also started a meetup group. Um, I started to do more work with people to kind of grow my presence a little bit. Um, and people thought that the stuff I was writing about was interesting enough to start sharing. So then people started to read the blog. Um, and then I started getting invited to conferences. And and that's kind of how it started. Um, and that, I don't know, I keep saying, um, there's there's so many things that we can talk about. <laughs> um, you said, you, said you tried to grow your presence. Was it intentional? It really wasn't intentional at first. I feel like I discovered this life hack when I was young, which was, I love to travel. I love to travel. It's something that gives me so much energy. Um, and I learned that there's this thing where you can apply to speak at a conference and then they pay for your travel. So that to me, it was like, oh, you'll fly me to Australia for free so I can give a conference talk to these nerds? Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, so at the time I was also doing... a. I was really pushing for design and open source. And um, I was working at IBM after college where we had this design group. And the design group was consisting of UX designers, UI designers, service designers. Um, and then I was the developer among designers. So I was a front-end developer and I was working with these designers. And I was very interested in open source, open source tooling libraries. Like I worked in open source. I put out a couple of tools here and there whenever I was like building something new I'd kind of save it and share it um, and I started getting some of the designers involved in open source trying to get more presence in that community it was it was hard there was this open design uh, group but that was hard and that was something that I started talking about in, in the early days of speaking since then I feel like I've gone the gamut where I talked about blend modes in the browser and like how to create Photoshop effects in the browser I talked about image optimization and performance. Um, I've talked about CSS a lot. I've talked about SVG. Like I've, I've now been speaking at conferences for 11 years, but I, I didn't intentionally like go into that path as a career path. I didn't, you know, DevRel is something that I've been doing professionally for four years now. Um, but I've been working in the tech industry for over 10. So it's not like I dove right into that. Uh, it just sort of happened. <laughs> it grew <laughs> on you. It grew on me, yeah. But I loved not just the travel, but when I was there, the community. I loved hearing people's stories and what they were working on and how it was different and the kinds of technologies they were using. And that was like 
my one of my favorite parts of the tech industry was the people. Um, <laughs> how how did you navigate the uh, the problematic uh, the problem of coming back from a conference with a to do list uh, long at least like three arms, uh, two hundred yeah. bullet points, and you probably yeah. you know you're going to tackle maybe three of those until next conference. Uh, how do you how do you deal with it? That was the most fun. I would go to conferences and I would learn about like, you know. Uh, web AR, web VR, and then I'd be like, okay, I want to build something. And then if I find a buddy who wants to build something with me and we collaborate, I'm more likely to do it. <laughs> so that's always a good option. Or I'll start blog posts and to-do lists are like a big thing for me. I did a public to-do list for two and a half years where I, I created like a whole CLI tool uh, where I had like a daily to-do list thing and then a weekly um, review and it, it's all public and that was like a Another thing that I would share is my open source to-do list. And that was fun. So did you get yeah. people commenting on your to-dos and what you completed and didn't yes, complete? Yes, people would. People would totally PR my to-dos. <laughs> Holy moly. <laughs> okay, look at that. Did that for you. What? <laughs> yeah, I. Um, well, they would add stuff to my list more, okay. more than take it away. <laughs> okay, so um, at some point you joined Google. Um, was that your first DevRel role or, or had you been in DevRel before? This is my first official DevRel role at Google. And um, the way that I came to this path was sort of, well, in my career, I was doing UI engineering, UX engineering. I did a lot of work in design systems. So what initially happened was at Google, the material design team was looking for a design advocate. So they reached out to me and I ended up getting a role on the material design team as a design ad developer advocate um, for material design, which was really cool. I, I had a lot of ideas for the product, but ultimately I wanted to move into web because I wanted to work on web platform. So that's, that's kind of how I ended up at Google. It was through material design as a developer advocate. And then I found... I found a way over to the web Chrome side of things, and I've been there ever since. <laughs> okay. Before you, we get there, uh, just in terms of uh, terminology, we've used developer advocate and developer relations. Are, are they the same or are they two different? I think they're answer? the same. Yeah. At Google, we call it a developer relations engineer because it's supposed to help to align to the engineering mm -hmm. side of things than the term developer advocate, but it's really the same word, okay. the same term. Okay. So at some point, you finally managed to transition toward uh, the dev side, the, the dev tools. Um, how, do you, how do you start there? How do you make your, your displace your own, start working on it, advocating for it? How, how did it look like? I think it's important to... Okay. So I, I know that developer advocacy is a job now that you could just go right into, but um, I worked in the industry for six years before doing that as my job, where I was working on products. So I mentioned I was working at IBM. Um, I also worked at, where did I work? I have to like look at my... <laughs> <laughs> I worked at DigitalOcean. I built a design system there. I built one of the first design systems at IBM called Carbon, early days of that design system on Bluemix there, moved in the cloud space for a while. I was in cloud, so then DigitalOcean. And then I was the director of product design at a company called Bustle. Um, so in all of these roles, I was doing some sort of UX engineering or UI engineering or design systems. Um, 
type work where I'm building components, I'm working in React and GraphQL, I'm working in systems that scale, especially with design systems, um, trying to improve performance, trying to decrease development time. So all of this gave me a strong understanding of the problems that developers have when it comes to working with styles and CSS abstractions and design systems and what they run into. So I think that that was a really good baseline for then shifting to developer advocacy, where my role was helping make it easier for people to use material design and now the web platform for CSS and tooling. So now it's how do we support developers by adding the features that they need, what is missing from the platform, and how do we give them the tools that they need, so specifically Chrome Dev Tools, to debug those platform capabilities of the platform issues. Um, I think it was really important for me to have that experience on the ground mm -hmm. before going into advocacy because I had a better understanding of what to advocate for and had a lot of opinions. As, as I mentioned, I was writing a lot, I had a lot of thoughts mm -hmm. <laughs> on the platform. Um, so yeah, I think that I got here through some of that just experience, frustration, like know it, getting a, a sense of how I wanted to change things. Um, and that really helps. And now mm -hmm. the work is very different because I'm no longer building components. I'm no longer like day-to-day -day working on a product that is going to ship. I'm working, well, I am, but it's the web. <laughs> <laughs> it's a platform. It's a platform team now instead of focusing on like product features, mm -hmm. which is just a very different type of work. And it's much slower because everything that we do goes through a standards process. So it is pretty slow going where you come up with a problem, a solution for it. You write an editor's spec of what it might look like. And then you go through a lot of discussions and feedback. Um, I'm in a few community and working groups now where there's stuff that I've been working on for three years that's just now shipping. There's stuff that's not even shipping that we've been working on for three years. Um, but it's okay because yeah. I know that it's important to get it right. You can't really revert when you ship it to the platform very easily. That, that's true. It must be quite an interesting experience to have on 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 the one end um, the the Chrome way or the, the Google way of doing things, uh, releasing multiple times a day, uh, new features and building incrementally, and then on the other side the standards moving yes. very slowly and uh, and and really vetting every comma in 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 every design document just to yeah. be sure to get it right. There's literally conversations on if we need a comma here or not and the <laughs> merits sure of the ordering of those properties and if it's a slash or a comma or nothing or, yeah. <laughs> How did you uh, uh, stumble into working for those uh, committees? So I've always been really interested in being involved in the working group because I, even before I joined Google, I saw that as like the people who get to make the decisions on what lands in the browser. Um, so when I joined the material design team, one way that I was able to work on it, was proposing some new color features. And so uh, that included trying to get more of the features from SAS, like color contrast and color mixing, into the platform so you can create dynamic color palettes. And I thought that, hey, I work on material design. They must think that's important too, right? Um, and also some angle things. I was really into Houdini for a while. So that's another area of CSS work. And so I joined the working group through that lens of design systems and um, worked in that space for a while, moved over to Chrome. There's also some newer 
a community group that's come out called Open UI, which is all about components. And um, we just shipped Popover working on like, how do you style a drop down menu? Why can't you do that still in HTML and CSS? Like, that's so frustrating. People keep breaking the web to make these inaccessible drop down menus because they can't style them. Um, so, so, the point of that group is to figure out how we could resolve that and resolve components on the platform. Mm-hmm. So, it's, it's, uh, not really CSS, but it's not purely HTML. It sort of sits in between both. And it's a community group instead of a working group, so I'm involved in that as well. Um, but that essentially just means that to get resolution, the incubation is done in the community group, and you go to a working group, whether that's the what working group for HTML or the CSS working group for CSS, to get resolution on these proposed solutions. Mm-hmm. Would you mind explaining how, how the process looks like? So you, uh, I assume somebody has an idea and then there is a, a first uh, um, check of the idea, then there must be different implementations and then you check the implementations and see which one should be. You're nodding, but I'll, I'll let you talk. How, how is that uh, process, uh, does that process look like? Um, so it depends, but for the most part, right now, both of these groups, so CS's working group and the open UI community group are both on GitHub. So if you had an idea, you could open an issue explaining your problem, explaining a potential solution, possibly, um, and then there'd be a discussion around that. Um, when it gets to a decent place, then you would have an editor or you would maybe do it yourself. But if you're new, you probably aren't writing the specs. It's just hard to get into the system and write it the correct way. Um, you'd have somebody write out a draft once you have a resolution to write a a new spec level. So this might be something like the first level of a spec, like CSS nesting level one, or it could be like CSS containment level three, and that would be like the third level of the spec, the next version. Um, So if it's a brand, brand new idea, it would either be a new spec draft. If it's an idea on improving an existing editor's draft that's being worked on, then it would get added to that. Um, And this is something that you can definitely get involved with because it's on GitHub and see the conversation and respond to issues. If it's a working group, you have to either join through a company or be an invited expert, um, which if you are participating in this space, you can get that status. Um, If it is a community group like OpenUI, you don't need to have any of those designations and you can just join. So you can join that through the W3C. It's a similar process where there's discussion, you add things to the agenda, there's weekly meetings, a lot of talking. It's a lot of talking. <laughs> Is there some point, uh, some kind of, of proof? I mean, um, to explain why, why I'm thinking about this, I come from, uh, from a medical background and I worked on DICOM communications, which is one of the standards for exchanging uh, uh, medical uh, information. And one of the process in changing DICOM, uh, the DICOM uh, standard was actually really making an implementation of the, of, the, of the standards. And we had to create different implementation of the standard than in a different uh, a third-party concurrent just to show we managed to build it as well and it's working and until then until this was proven we could couldn't go forward with the standards there's different intents so as a browser there's an intent to prototype there's an intent to ship and you submit an intent when you are working on seeing if a feature is feasible um, so mm-hmm. that would be an intent to prototype and then you could build it into um, on chrome it would be canary so it would be the experimental dev version of Chrome Mm -hmm. and see if it works, if it's performant, if it doesn't break other things. That's always a fun surprise. Like (laughs) recently we were working on um, animating discrete 
properties, which means animating to and from display none or animating in popovers or things like dialogues. Um, and we thought, oh, we could add display to animation. But somehow a lot of websites broke, even though that's totally invalid right now. They still had display in the animation. Or maybe, I don't know. Anyway, it was... Um, so there, there was some work that had to be done there. Like once you do a test of, you know, top X thousand websites, uh, you can see if there's going to be an issue and then you go back to the drawing board and maybe make some revisions and prototype with those. And then as DevRel, we get to build demos and find bugs because we're usually some early adopters and build stuff to test these tools. Um, which is always fun. That's a fun part of DevRel. <laughs> and, and just uh, um, for the sake of the argument, if you had a, a brilliant idea and you realize it's it's breaking everyone on the web, and there's no other way to 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 make this idea, but it's really brilliant. How would you go about changing uh, or making changes uh, or making people change their websites? Is is there a way to do this? Oh, that is just that's really hard to do. The web. Can't, you can't backwards break the web, which is one of the biggest challenges for things like components. Um, I was involved in a component redesign at Google uh, where it was a collaboration between Microsoft and Google for Chromium browsers, so Edge and, Edge and Chrome and other Chromium-based browsers, where we did a redesign of the form controls. So things like inputs and uh, progress sliders. And we couldn't move them a single pixel in that redesign because of backwards compatibility and shifting these layouts and diffing tests would break. Same thing with new features. That's why we can't just expand the select menu that it already exists. Like we can't expand the select component. We have to make a brand new component. So call it like select list or select menu or something else that doesn't already exist. So you can add onto the web, but you can't really change existing features very easily because of these breaking changes and issues. There's, there's a lot of <laughs> I feared that would be your answer, yeah. <laughs> even when you do add something new, like the popover attribute, and even if you do test it thoroughly, things could pop up. Like there was, um, there was apparently like a popover feature on some old version of bootstrap if you ported it over incorrectly and we had a bunch of like open issues or people saying that they had breakages in some older websites because of that attribute naming because now everything is namespaced right so now bootstrap is namespaced very specifically and most systems are but popover was broad enough that we didn't catch it the first time and then there was this edge case edge case that popped up you're always gonna have i don't know it's hard <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. it it's 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 uh, just a, a, a nightmarish combinatoric. You have so many websites and so many combinations of problems that could uh, occur. Yeah, something is is likely to happen. Um, during this whole uh, uh, discussion, you've had a, a giant smile on your face. It seems like you found the the perfect spot for yourself. Did you see yourself staying there for years now, or? Is it, are you uh, looking to toward your horizon to something else? I I hope so. I think that there's a lot of work to be done in the CSS and UI space and the tooling space. I think that there's a lot of opportunity. The scale of this type of work just doesn't really exist anywhere else. The ability to make the web platform 
work better for developers, smoother for developers, and ultimately for users. Um, I just can't imagine doing something more impactful than this. I think that this is where I need to be right now. Um, so that feels really good. And that makes me feel like I'm in the right place. It looks like it. <laughs> and it's also fun. Like DevRel is fun. You get to do a variety of things. So I was mentioning like we work on demos and work on specs, but we also get to write about things that are landing. We get to explore the new stuff. Um, we get to go out and give talks about it. That's one of the reasons I get to do events now um, as a part of my job rather than my side job, which when I was doing events when it wasn't my job, I didn't have weekends. I was just mm -hmm. like, all my weekends were spent in coffee shops, writing talks. I had no life. Um, now it's, it's more a part of my job. So even though I still don't have a life, <laughs> I get to do more of it. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Yeah, quite a bit of travel probably. Uh, since yeah. Ended. So, so that's fun. There's a lot of different types of work they get to do. It's like a mix of software engineering, product management, um, content, uh, it's everything. It's everything. <laughs> um, if you have a if you had a bunch of late teenagers in front of you, um, what would be the one advice that you would like to give them in order to for them to to choose their path, start their career? Is there something that that you would like to tell them? I think that my biggest piece of advice would be to one start a blog. So just just start it. And it might feel like you don't have a lot to say yet, but if you start to write down the things as you are learning them and as you're exploring them, especially if you're kind of staying on top of what's new, it's going to give you such a head up, leg up, uh, especially as you're applying to jobs because you can show a history of thoughtful progression. Um, and the second would be to get involved in your local community if possible or virtual communities because now there's a lot of Discord groups, there's different virtual communities. If you don't have a physical local community near you that can introduce you to people who are nerdy about the same things that you are nerdy about and excited about the same things that you are excited about, you can bounce ideas off each other, discover new things, see what they're working on, share what you're working on. That is what probably helps me most in my career is that exact pursuit of finding people who cared about these same things. When that kind of community didn't exist around me, I created it. So I started the a SAS meetup in DC. When I moved, I started a, another a meetup in Austin, where it was another city that I lived in, in the US. So either join community, make community, find community, blog stuff, experiment, play with what interests you, whether it's crypto or whether it's Uh, UI front end, whether it's building frameworks, whether it's just being open source, like there's a lot in the dev space, whether you're a musician or into fashion, like there's a lot that you can hook into um, to find your people. Indeed, I'm into that. You know, it's been fantastic. Thank you so much for giving us a, a glimpse of your life uh, so far. And I'm sure uh, there will be many, many more stories to tell in the, in the years to come. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. So where would be the best place to continue this discussion with you? You can find me on the internet. Um, probably Twitter is still the best, even though I don't know if that will exist by the time this podcast <laughs> goes live. Uh, so my handle is Yuna. That's at U-N-A. It's my name, Yuna, U-N-A. Um, also, I don't know. You can join me on the threads if you want. You can find me on Blue Sky. 
Um, you probably have to search my name, Unicrab. It's, I think I'm Unicrab on those. But I also have a website. It is una.im, and I post all of the talks that I give on there, things I'm writing. Um, I write for a bunch of stuff on Google properties like developer.com.com, web.dev. Uh, but the best place is probably Twitter, my website, una.im. And I'm trying to get better at LinkedIn because that's where, <laughs> where it seems like all the younger people are. <laughs> it's it's funny how it's trend, uh, transforming itself. It used to be all the old people on, on LinkedIn and the, the younger ones on Twitter, but now yeah. they're coming over. <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> okay, and we'll, we'll add all those links to the show notes so you don't have to write them down. Uh, just scroll down and you you can just click on them. Anything else you want to call a uh, plug before we call it a day? Um, listen to this podcast. It's pretty cool. It's very relaxing. <laughs> I, awesome. <laughs> I think it's a nice walking podcast. It is indeed. Uh, well, uh, doing the dishes, doing any yes. kind of stuff where you don't have to, to pay real hard attention. You just yes. let it inspire you. And if you, you like podcasts and you like CSS, you could listen to the CSS podcast, which is a podcast that I do with Adam Argyle, and it's, uh, it's full of CSS goodness. <laughs> and we'll add a link to that in your show notes as well. <laughs> Yuna, thank you so much. Thank you. And this has been another episode of Delpers Journey. We'll see each other next week. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot for tuning in. I hope you have enjoyed this week's episode. If you like the show, please share, rate, and review. It helps more listeners discover those stories. You can find the links to all the platforms the show appears on on our website, devjourney.info slash subscribe. Creating the show every week takes a lot of time, energy, and of course, money. Would you please help me continue bringing out those inspiring stories every week by pledging a small monthly donation? You'll find our Patreon link at devjourney.info donate. And finally, don't hesitate to reach out and tell me how this week's story is shaping your future. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Timothep, T-I-M-O-T-H-E-P, or per email, info at devjourney.info Talk to you soon.